female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Whoa! What was that? This is a this is a new theme song I'm hearing. Yeah, it's right, guys. After 25 episodes, uh, it's time with a bitter heart. With a with a bitter heart. That's not a saying. With a heavy heart, in a bittersweet mood, uh, it's time that we farewell our beloved, our treasured. African drum circle. As you know, every episode begins and ends uh, with a beautiful chorus of drums that are performed live in my bedroom. Unfortunately, the um, the podcast hasn't been making enough money um, or any money, uh, and so I'm unable to afford the hiring of, of 10, um, well, I'm going to be frank, incredibly muscular African drummers who, who just sit in the bedroom the entire time while I record the episode just to play an intro and outro. Um, it's been a great time, but unfortunately, you know, I, I I, it's not worth it to me. I can't keep them around. Um, this is a business, okay? It's a business decision, boys. They're still looking at me. They're here, by the way. They, I didn't tell them about this until now. Um, I'm sorry, you've been replaced by, uh, you know, a licensed piece of music and some edited news footage. I'm sorry. I don't want... What do you want me to do? Get out, please. Thank you. Leave the drums. Yeah. It is sad, though. Let's have a moment's silence for the African drum circle. And I think that's sufficient. Okay, welcome back to Man It Is, the only true crime podcast on the internet where all the killers are real animals. I'm your host, James, and today we are trying something new. Correct. Not only are we trying a new theme song, we also have a new episode format ready today. That's right. No shitty, stale podcast for me. Um, well, it still is that, but... We're going to try something a little bit more, well, I don't know, flashy, mysterious. Today, we're talking about killer cryptids. Uh, if you're reading that title on your podcast app or wherever you're reading it, um, you'll notice it's spelled with a K. Cryptid's not spelled with a K, it's spelled with a C, but the double K thing was just to be cute. Um, I also couldn't add another K word on there because then it would be KKK, and um, I've said it on this podcast before, and I don't care if I have to say it again. All right, and I don't care who comes after me for this. I think that in many ways the KKK are bad. Okay, and that's my firm political belief. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends anyone out there. Okay, if that offends any of you, 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 you uh, uh, racists. Okay, I would have thought the fact that I had an African drum circle in my bedroom would be more upsetting to you than that. Um, but. What? Huh? What am I talking about? Oh yes, killer cryptids. So we've covered cryptids before, or semi-cryptids as I like to call them, in a couple stories. We talked about it in the uh, the Beast of Gévaudan, um, and the you know the Malloway Terror Beast. These were um, kills committed by you know creatures that we uh, we are relatively certain are animals. We just don't know exactly what animal they are. Um, the killer cryptids that we're going to be focusing on um, throughout the the next year or so of the podcast, they're creatures who cannot be identified as any earthly animal that we know of. They don't have a earthly 
rationalization. In a lot of cases, uh, the best explanation is a supernatural one. Um, and so that's what we're talking about today. A little bit more mystery, a little bit more, I guess, true crime in it for you today. We're talking about one of my favorite cryptids today as well, and one that's kind of unique in that um, people did die. As a result of this creature, maybe you can be the judge, uh, but people did pass away um, in connection to the story that you're about to hear. So we're talking about the Mothman, a staple of West Virginian folklore. Uh, if you're from that area, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this story, and I'd love to, you know, I'd love for you to reach out on me uh, to me after the episode and tell me what you think about um, the Mothman. Do you think it's real? Does anyone you know think it's real? Does anyone you know have they spotted it? Because Another unique thing about this is that this is a recent, a relatively recent discovery, uh, discovery in air quotes, because, you know, it's a cryptid, we don't know if it's real or not, um, but it is relatively recent, I believe in the 60s was the first time it was, um, quote-unquote, spotted. So, here we go, I think we should just jump into this, this is the Mothman, um, welcome to the first episode of Killer Cryptids, uh, and please enjoy. The Mothman is a staple of North American folklore. In fact, outside of Bigfoot and possibly the Chubacabra, Mothman is perhaps the most well-known and most documented cryptid in the United States, prevalent enough to have his own statue, book, and feature film based on him. The Mothman is also unique in cryptid lore, as it's one of the only mythical animals to have documented and confirmed human deaths associated with it, although we will get into that later. The Mothman is said to be a humanoid creature that walks upright and has wings. His appearance is more like a huge humanoid owl than it is to a moth, despite the fact that newspapers were the ones to give him the term the Mothman. His skin has been described as black, grey, or even brown, but more often than not, it's darker colours. If he has hair, it may also be black, grey, or brown. It is said that the Mothman can fly at speeds greater than 100 miles per hour, has a wingspan of at least 10 to 15 feet, and stands at approximately 7 feet tall. It's also been said that he doesn't have a head at all, and that his two enormous crimson eyes are actually embedded in his chest. There have been reports that these eyeballs glow, or at the very least are reflective. It's never been fully stated what his face looks like or how his feet looked. One eyewitness who was able to get a good look at the face could only describe the details as being awful and monstrous. She suffered from dreadful nightmares and became dangerously close to having a psychological breakdown. In fact, anyone who was able to obtain a good look at the Mothman reports experiencing severe dread and psychological discomfort, which can sometimes endure for months or even years following the encounter. People have been reported feeling an overwhelming sense of pure evil whenever they look into the Mothman's eyes. The Mothman is able to fold his wings on his back and walks with an odd shuffle that some eyewitnesses have likened to that of a penguin. When he flies, he spreads his wings and takes off in a vertical direction at a high rate of speed. After achieving a certain height, he levels off and continues in the direction he chooses. Only when he's taking off can you ever catch a glimpse of him beating his wings. The flying pattern of the subject was frequently characterized by witnesses as a straight up like a helicopter. He's able to fly faster than any natural bird ought to be able to fly, and many victims have claimed that the Mothman's favourite activity was chasing vehicles. Now that we know what the Mothman reportedly looks like, let's talk about the first time a human being reported seeing him. The year was 1966 in the state of West Virginia. On a frigid November evening, five men were preparing a grave for burial at a cemetery near Clendon in WA. As the men worked, something caught their eye that none of the men could explain away with any earthly rationalization. 
From a nearby tree, a creature lifted itself into the air with its brown wings. The men maintained after hours of interviews that the creature was no bird, bat, or any other known animal. All five of the men swore on their lives that this creature was a humanoid. After this initial sighting by the five gravediggers, the creature was sighted in multiple locations across West Virginia and the surrounding states of Ohio, Maryland, and Virginia. The largest number of sightings seemed to happen in an area known to the locals as the TNT area. The TNT area was a region near the old abandoned West Virginia Ordnance Works. The Ordnance Works was an abandoned munitions supply point north of Point Pleasant. It manufactured and stored ammunition and dynamite. The facility dates back to World War II, but was abandoned by the time the Mothman started frequenting the area. Surrounding the TNT area were woodland forests, grassy clearings, and a thick concrete dome called an igloo that was used to store gunpowder. Crisscrossing underneath the munitions facility were abandoned tunnels, many of which had collapsed, been sealed off, or flooded with water. A fisherman who was in the TNT reported that chemicals had been left to seep into the ponds and the area was deemed an environmental disaster area. It was among the most polluted sites in the US. Some conspiracy theorists claimed that these chemicals may have a link to the Mothman, but the fisherman discovered the chemicals in 1979, a full 13 years after the creature was first reported. Anyway, it was the TNT area near Point Pleasant where the Mothman popped up again. On November 15th, three days after the initial sighting by the gravediggers, two young couples would encounter the frightening cryptid. Roger and Linda Scarberry were driving in Roger's black 57 Chevy Bel Air with their friends Steve and Mary Millette when Linda suddenly started screaming. When the others asked what was wrong, she simply pointed out the side window. Through the darkness, the four youngsters saw a pair of glowing red eyes that were reflecting the beams from the car's headlights. Steve looked harder, and was the first to notice that the creature that the eyes belonged to was human-looking, seven feet tall, with big brown wings folded on its back. What happened next is up for speculation. One account states that the creature retreated around the corner of a building of the power plant. They said that the creature didn't run, but it stumbled as if it was finding it difficult to keep its balance. The group was so close to the animal that Linda stated, you could see the muscles in its legs. Another account says that when the Mothman saw the interlopers, it spread its wings and started pursuing the car. Both versions of the story end with the couple fleeing down Highway 62, terrified and confused at what they were seeing. Linda yelled at Roger to speed up after she spotted the creature on a hill next to a large billboard. The Mothman then spread its wings and flew straight up into the sky. The four arrived in town, and after confirming that the creature was no longer pursuing them, Roger parked the car and they discussed the strange events of the night. Ultimately, the most skeptical of the group, Steve, managed to convince the group that all it was that they saw was an abnormally large bird, possibly some kind of owl. In an attempt to face their fears and prove Steve's hypothesis right, the four drove back to the TNT area along Highway 62. Pretty quickly, the group found the animal again. And to Steve's horror, they found that whatever it was, it certainly wasn't a bird. In that instant, the headlights landed on the Mothman, the creature flew up vertically into the sky with an incredible speed and disappeared into the trees. Upon arriving back in town, the terrified group this time went to the Mason County Courthouse and told their story to Sheriff George Johnson and Deputy Miller Holstead. Two hours later, the police began scouting the area, but came up with nothing that pointed to a supernatural Mothman. 
A press conference was held the next day, and a local newspaper picked up the story. Linda was reported saying, I wish we had never seen it. I wish someone else had seen it. It was this media storm that caused others to come forward with stories of previous sightings. It was the Scarberry Millette sighting that started the Mothman hysteria. On November 16th, an issue of the Point Pleasant Register brought the Mothman story to the public eye. The headline of that issue read, Couple sees man-sized bird, creature, something. The TNT encounter was an absolutely traumatic experience for all four individuals involved, and the morning of November 16th, Linda Scarberry was rushed to hospital by her father, who claimed she was suffering from a mental breakdown. Roger Scarberry stated, I'm a hard guy to scare, but last night, oh, I was for getting out of there. Over the next 13 months, there were various other alleged sightings of the Mothman in Point Pleasant. In fact, there were an estimated 100 sightings, although many of these went unreported, so the number could actually be lower. Allegedly, several witnesses who claimed to see the Mothman were harassed by the men in black, who warned them not to speak about the creature publicly. Many people claim the Mothman is a herald of impending disaster. Some people claim that the Mothman has visited places like Freiburg, Germany, months before a bridge collapsed there. Another visit to Another Mothman visit was to the nuclear power plant at Chernobyl, and some have even claimed they have pictures of Mothman in New York days before 9-11. However, sightings of the original West Virginia Mothman seem to have culminated in the catastrophic collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15, 1967. The Mothman had been sighted several times near and on Silver Bridge before it collapsed in 1967, killing 46 people and injuring dozens more. Two of the victims were never found. The official cause of the collapse was a small defect in one of the eye bars in one of the suspension cables, as well as poor maintenance of the bridge, as well as the fact it was being used for much heavier loads than it was designed for. Even so, conspiracy theorists are convinced there is an undeniable link between Mothman and this, this fatal tragedy. There hasn't been any good physical or photographic proof that Mothman really exists, but there have been a few photos that people thought were of Mothman. For example, a photo of a bridge taken in 2003 was thought to be Mothman, turned out to be a piece of metal tilting and falling off the top of the bridge. There have also been Photoshop pictures which were mostly done out of art and not to trick anyone. At least two other cryptids are linked to Mothman sightings. Owlman, a similar creature with wings and red eyes, was seen in Cornwall, England in 1967, and enormous thunderbirds with grey bodies and red heads were seen in the same area at the same time by a few witnesses. When the original witnesses contacted George Johnson, he speculated that the Mothman may have been a large heron. The West Virginia University wildlife biologist Dr. Robert L. Smith believed that Mothman was a sandhill crane, and the newspapers later reported this. However, the witnesses vehemently disagreed. Owls were also suggested as a possible explanation by skeptic Joe Nickwell due to their eye shine and silhouette resembling a headless Mothman. The majority of contemporary skeptics appear to agree with Joe Nickel, but it is possible that the sightings are simply too unusual to be explained by such an animal. Identical Mothman-like creatures are mentioned in two Shawnee legends, like the Misingwa and the Wapi, respectively. Due to the ceremonial clothing worn during the bread dance, the Mothman in the Misingwa legend is described as being a Bigfoot. A family of Native Americans made the decision to become Whitehawks and live in the forests close to Point Pleasant, according to Wapi legend, which is also similar in that it's part of the Shawnee folklore. 
Some people think that the Mothman may be an angel, a demon, or the result of a Native American chieftain who was killed nearby with his son, causing a blood curse on the town. The original sighting is thought to be more in line with an illusion while driving, and other sightings could be misidentifications and calls for attention, according to the more likely hypothesis like a normal barn owl which have been proposed. There have also been claims of a hypothetical petrosaur, but this is clearly just zoology and fun. Today, there are continued sightings of Mothman, but it's unlikely we will ever know truly what the creature was. For now, we will have to settle with the Mothman being a unique and creative element in West Virginian folklore. There, locals can enjoy a stroll down 4th Street, Point Pleasant, and take in the views of the Mothman statue. They can attend the Mothman Festival and soak up the cryptid-themed food and art, or they can sit back and watch the Mothman Prophecies starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. A minor case of mass hysteria is probably the real offender here. That phenomenon occurs when a cohesive group goes through a nervous system disturbance that prompts unintentional reactions. Numerous instances of even stranger mass hysteria have been documented throughout history, but they are frequently attributed to the spread of folklore and urban legends. Someone has an illogical occurrence, and then other people become involved. This is a typical psychological response. So yes, it is possible that a large bird startled some residents in West Virginia in 1960. The town's panicked residents then created the Mothman to account for what they saw. But why do we still have such a strong obsession with this cryptid? Perhaps because it provides a straightforward explanation for the shadowy figure we believe to be in the background. Because as people, we enjoy a good mystery and prefer entertaining speculation to plausible explanations. Because of this, folklore endures in all customs and cultures, mainly because it's fun. Or, perhaps that is just what the Mothman wants us to believe. There you have it. That is the story of the West Virginian Mothman. Pretty creepy stuff. Um, if you go on the Instagram, I'll post a photo of one of the alleged you know, artist descriptions of this animal. If it is real, it would freak me out. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I actually saw the photo of the, from 2003, the photo of the Mothman allegedly on the bridge. And that creeped me out as well. I mean, it turns out to just be a piece of metal that fell off. But, hey, if I'm the men in black or if I'm the FBI trying to keep a secret, that's exactly what I'd say it was too. Oh, no, that's not a Mothman. That's uh, it's just a, uh, it's a piece of metal falling off the bridge. Yeah. I'm not a bridgeologist, but how often do pieces of metal just fall off the bridge, huh? What are they hiding? Anyway, thank you for listening to that story. Let's move on to another segment, the Scratch of the Day. Now, in a regular Maneaters episode, the Scratch of the Day is when I look through the news of the day, uh, news of the week, and I find three or more interesting stories involving animal attacks. Today is no different. This is still Maneaters. It's not Cryptid Eaters, okay? Settle down. So, our first Scratch of the Day. Here is the headline. California woman mauled to death by grizzly bear was victim of rare predatory response reports revealed. This uh, this is from the ABC. Also, thank you to Allison, big pal of the program, for sending this story in. If you have any Scratch of the Day stories that you think are interesting, please send them to my email, which is in the description below. Here is the story. I will reiterate this is uh, reported by ABC in America, not Australia. No, I'm incorrect. This is reported by the ABC in Australia. Okay. A California woman fatally mauled by a grizzly bear in western Montana was the victim of a rare predatory attack by a food-conditioned animal, a new report has found. 
Wildlife officials revealed that the bear was likely attracted to food left in and near Chico woman Leah David Lockhart's tent and since left behind from recent Independence Day picnics when it attacked and killed her last year. The 65-year-old was pulled from her tent and mauled in the pre-dawn hours of July 6, 2021 in the small town of Ovando. The the 189-kilogram male grizzly bear broke her neck and severed her spine, causing instantaneous death, according to the autopsy report. A nearby empty can of bear spray that appeared to be recently used was found near the tent. About an hour before the attack, the bear had approached the tents of Ms. Lockhan and a Texas couple who were camping behind a museum. They were initially able to scare the bear away. Miss Lockin, a retired nurse, told the couple that the bear huffed at my head, according to an incident report by the Inter- or Inter- Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee Board of Review. That's a long name. She then declined to offer to sleep in a hotel with her sister and a friend. All three women were participating in a long-anticipated bike ride at the Great Divide mountain bike route. After the first encounter, Miss Lockhan and I'm, I'm realizing I'm pronouncing her, pronouncing her name different each time. We're going to stick with Lockhan. Lock, Lockin. It's Lockan. Lockan. L-O-K-A-N. Lockan. After the first encounter, Miss Lockan took some packaged snack foods and dry lentils out of her tent and retrieved the bear spray. However, her toiletries in two bags that had previously held dry blueberries remained in the tent. She also had food stored in her saddlebags of a bicycle about three meters away from the tent. The Texas couple woke up just after 4am to the sounds of Miss Lockin being attacked. The man yelled at the bear and used pepper spray after seeing it pounding up and down on Miss Lockin in her tent, but she could not be saved. The bear responsible was shot three days later while raiding a chicken coop near the town. DNA tests confirmed the same bear had also raided a different coop not long after the mauling. The bear was four to seven years old, investigators said, and they quote, not all bearers exhibiting food conditioning behavior exhibit predatory behavior, the June 28 report said. But for some unknown reason, a predatory response was triggered by this bear. While foraging under the cover of darkness in Ovando, perhaps due to a simple movement made by the sleeping victim or a certain sound made by the victim, the bear reacted and ended up taking the life of Miss Lockin. Miss Lockin's family suggested bear spray manufacturers include a unique whistle, in the bear spray trigger that could alert others, as well as an additional deterrent to bears, the report said. Okay. So that's obviously a really, really, really sad story that's happened there. Um, yeah, as the report says, it's really rare for a bear to attack like that, to, to show a predatory instinct like that, but something's happened. Um, yeah, you've got to be really careful with your food. Even if you keep the food away, if you've had food in a container, the bear can still smell it. They have an incredible sense of smell. Um, so, yeah. Please be careful out there if you're if you're camping in the US. People say this a lot. They they always say, like, you know, Americans say to me, Oh, Australia is so scary, you've got all these animals that want to kill you, everything in Australia wants to kill you, and that's true. But we don't have bears. We don't have bears that weigh over two hundred kilograms, um, ripping open your tent and eating you alive. That doesn't happen. So I count myself lucky there. All right. We have two more scratch of the day stories, both of them are about monkeys, okay? And I will warn you, as I always do, the uh, the second story we're about to cover does involve the death of a child. So I'll tell you when we get up to that, and you can decide if you want to uh, skip ahead or stop listening. Okay, this uh, headline is from The Guardian, and it says, Hunt for wild monkey in Japan after 10 attacks in a fortnight. Police in Japan are searching for a wild monkey that has attacked 10 people in the space of a fortnight. 
The attacks began on the 8th of July in the Oguri district of Yamaguchi Prefecture in the country's southwest. In the most serious incident, it badly scratched an infant after invading a family's home. I was vacuuming when I heard my child crying, so I turned around and saw the monkey that had grabbed her by the legs while she was playing on the floor. It looked like she was trying to drag her outside, the, bother, the baby's mother told local media. The bother. Let's edit that out, hey? Last weekend, the monkey opened the screen door of a first-floor apartment and scratched the leg of a four-year-old girl, leaving her with minor injuries before attacking other people nearby, according to the Kudoku News Agency. The monkey, said to be about 40 to 50 centimeters in height, also invaded a local kindergarten classroom and scratched another four-year-old girl. Local police are reportedly on high alert. They've set up traps for the animal and warned people not to leave their windows open. A local mayor's office has distributed flyers telling local residents to be on the lookout, but as of Tuesday, the animal was still on the loose. The public broadcaster NHK said there had been about 40 monkey sightings in the area since May. They are not the only wild animals that have been forced... they are not the only wild animals that have forced people in Japan to be more vigilant. In recent years, there have been bear sightings and attacks across the country, along with a smaller number of uh, sorry, in, in, along with a smaller number involving wild boar, including an incident last year in which two animals injured a dozen people at a Hiroshima park after being, before being shot dead. The spate of bear sightings and attacks are being attributed to a shortage of acorns in the animals' natural habitat, forcing them to wander in populated areas in search of food. In depopulated rural areas, the degradation of abandoned farmland that once formed a natural boundary between the habitat and populated areas is also a factor. In the northernmost main island of Hokkaido, I've said that word before. Uh, okay, in the northernmost main island of Hokkaido alone, the number of bear sightings rose from 2,197 last year, up 381 from the previous year. In 2020, a black bear spent more than 12 hours inside a shopping mall in Ishikawa, a prefecture, before being shot dead by a local hunter. Um, wow, okay, so yes, a monkey story, a boar story, and a bear story all in one. My, my, how fun. Um, we had talked about uh, Japanese bear attacks in the episode, uh, I think it was the Sankei Betsu brown bear attacks, uh, and I believe that that attack was on Hakido as well, yeah, the northernmost island of Japan. So, um, yeah, really, really, really interesting uh, stuff there. Final story now, uh, and and this one does involve, unfortunately, the death of a four-month-old boy. Uh, so if you don't want to listen, you don't have to. Skip to the end, or I'll see you next week. Uh, this headline is, Monkey Snatch and Throw Four-Month-Old Boy Off Building Roof, Killing Him in Front of Horrified Dad. Um, this story is quite short. Uh, and this one is quite... It's really sad to talk about. In a horrific accident... Oh, sorry. In a... Hor- in a horrifying incident, a troop of wild monkeys in India stole a baby from his father and threw the boy from a third-story rooftop, killing him instantly. The infant's father was 25 years old, and his wife were up on the rooftop with their four-month-old son on Friday, July 15th, in Barely, when several monkeys attacked them. The man's wife escaped from the crazy monkeys, but the troop, but the troop of monkeys cornered him. He attempted to flee, but dropped his son, allowing one of the animals to scoop him up and toss him off the rooftop. DNA India reported on Sunday, July 17th. The man, 
who was hit by the animals, cried out for help, but before other family members could arrive, the monkeys had snatched the baby boy and thrown him off the roof. The child died on the spot due to the animal attack. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, I have clearly not uh, broken my habit of ending the show on the saddest possible story. That's heartbreaking. Obviously, we think... uh, Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. Um... We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna end the episode there. Thank you so much for listening. Especially a thank you to you if you've listened all the way through to this new format of episode. The killer cryptid stories are really interesting. It's a nice little stopgap between the regular animal stories. So I do look forward to keep doing them. Um, please tune in next week because we are going to be trying yet another format. We're going to be uh, doing man eaters, man eater movies, where I watch a movie with man eaters in it and I talk about it. And I don't know what that format's going to look like yet, but we'll see. So join us next week. Before we go, just a few things I do need. To to mention um, a big thank you to Alex M and the Newcastle Herald. They did a really great story about man eaters in the paper on the weekend. Uh, if you live if you live in Newcastle or surrounding areas and you got a copy, um, thank you for that. Thanks. Always follow Alex on Instagram if you can find her. Um, also follow me on Instagram if you can find me. All the social links are in the description below. Uh, so go and do that now, please. Thank you. Uh, as always, if you want to send me stories, scratch the day suggestions, or any movie recommendations, you can send them to my email. It's maneaterspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that uh, email is in the description of this podcast as well. Um, and you know what? It's been a while. Give me a good review, you shitheads. It's been a bit. Uh, and of course, finally, as always, Patreon is available uh, if you think uh, you want to give me some extra scratch for this uh, job that I've done. I, If you don't, I don't blame you. I'm not very good at it. Okay, thank you so much for listening. Uh, have a great day. And as As always, stay safe because as we've learned, it's a jungle out there.